to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and joining me, as always, my co-hosts, Jan Vermouth and Scott Burleson. This is part two of our discussion with Murat Gurka and Francesco Carletti. In part one, we talked about their experience in entrepreneurship, how they started, their lessons learned, and today we pursue our discussion. So, Murat, you are very creative. You have a lot of different ideas for businesses and for different ventures. My question is, how do you tell which ideas are good or not good? Is this pure intuition? How do you go about that? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult question because, uh, you know, I mentioned this maybe a little bit earlier, but uh, most ideas come from an environment of some dissatisfaction with a product or service, but more importantly, the needs of the few or many not being fulfilled adequately, right? So, so um, it, it is kind of like evolutionary behavior of the brain um, it, which focuses uh, and on, on the interest that you have as an entrepreneur in solving something that you're frankly irritated by, right? I mean, like you, 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 you call up a company and you have, a, uh, you know, let's say they, they provide a service and you ask them, well, you know, a good example is actually 1-800-MATTRESS, okay, in the United States. If you want mattresses and you're a bachelor moving home to home within Manhattan City or any other place in the U.S., you call 1-800-MATTRESS and literally the same day they can deliver a mattress to your house, right? And, and, and not only that, but when you're talking to the customer service, you tell them, man, I would really love to have the bed they have in the W hotels. They go, oh, one second, W hotel uses this brand of blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? Do you guys also carry the Four Seasons hotels? Yeah, yeah, that's this other brand over here. Like, this is such a flawless uh, kind of service. But the moment, you know, you have somebody else <laughs> who you do the same kind of call to, and they just start telling you what you can't have because it's restricted by some some internal policy or, or their operational incapabilities and all that kind of stuff. That's really where I think an idea kind of uh, comes to life is like, I'm really frustrated. This is something basic. Like, how come no one's ever thought about, you know, uh, solving this problem, which, which is, uh, you know, easy to solve from at least my perspective and also a need from my side. It just irritates the hell out of me that, that nobody can do this. So... Uh, I think most ideas come from that need uh, that you yourself have or your family member or your pet or your, you know, uh, girlfriend or whatever it might be or your parents, uh, you know, maybe they're in retirement uh, ages and you see uh, that they have difficulty accessing medicine, right? A rare disease medication, for example, is my current area of expertise. And, and the ideas really come out of a need to serve people who are really suffering at this moment, that you have to have a high level of, let's say, EQ for and empathy for, uh, and not just see your business as making money, right? Because at the end of the day, money will come uh, as long as you, you cater to some of these needs. Uh, but it isn't like there isn't any, let's say, ideation process. Uh, and by the way, ideogen stands for 
um, the the ideal is the, is the creation of ideas, and Gen stands for the generation. So the generation of people who are constantly creating ideas is where Ideogen, the brand name, came for uh, from. And so there are, of course, many methodologies to do ideation. I think that's more Francesco's field of, of, let's say, how to do the deduction on how to process ideas into valuable, executable, kind of um, validatable uh, processes. But, but at the end of the day, you really have to just keep thinking about it passionately until uh, you, you, you expose yourself to enough of the fundamentals around that idea so that you can actually see whether it could be brought to life. And what is the challenge? Why people haven't brought it to life until today? Uh, okay. You know, I don't know, Francesco. Maybe you have more. Well, before Jonathan. asking Francesco, I'd be really interested in getting uh, your opinion, Francesco, on this question also. But I have a list on my phone with yeah. I don't know, maybe eighty uh, different business ideas that I've written through the years. What is your method for for, for then maybe filtering? Because you have so i mean when things frustrate you during your day and say oh, i could do this better what is the difference between doing actually going in and do it making a business out of it and, and just staying frustrated and not doing anything about it for you Moran? well i can i can give you i can give you a real example of that right now of course it's going to be within my business uh, and not like a business starting from scratch because uh, you know businesses starting from scratch even though you might have great ideas especially if you have no experience in it the chances that you're going to be able to evaluate that idea to whether it will be successful or not are pretty slim uh, unless you really as francesco said previously uh, are talking to people with a lot of experience and and they can guide you and mentor you along the way. And of course, it, it, that's not enough because people who are advising also have other stuff to do, right? So it's not like they're living and breathing what you're doing every day. So you have to actually hire or partner up with people who are experienced, who have executed on it before, who can guide you in doing the business plan before you even decide to launch. So so there's a whole bunch of factors that go in there. But today, if I, if I am looking for a, a product, to launch, which I do every day, by the way. So, so it's uh, we're we're constantly looking for gaps, right? Um, our methodology in Ideogen uh, for any country we're entering is to look at the negative. Okay, what doesn't exist in that country, in terms of a therapy or a drug or a rare disease solution uh, or whatever it might be. And once we go into that negative, you, you don't only find the negatives that are huge money makers, right? You find a whole bunch of stuff that even if you registered it, you launched it, you, you signed the product and you, you made it available. Maybe there's only you know, a handful of patients who actually really need it. So that's where the evaluation process kicks in. But our evaluation process is, okay, let's first look at, let's say, incidence and prevalence rates. You know, what is the per capita incidence of this uh, disease and what is currently being used in the local market to treat this disease where does you, the, the new drug you're addressing actually sit on the existing protocols of the doctors who are who are kind of you know following step one you apply aspirin step two you do aspirin plus something else and so on and so forth and these are pretty well defined since it's a regulated industry and very scientific in nature um, 
Now that's a deduction process, right? We're, we're trying to see what is the maximum, maximum potential of a market size. And for that, we do have to go out and speak to countless you know, key opinion leaders. We have to go talk to pharmacists. We have to get data that is publicly available, some that is not publicly available by talking to wholesalers. And, uh, and that's, a tr that's kind of like a hit or miss thing. You get data from everywhere. And, and you have to risk adjust it. So, so you can never always be right. And ultimately what you come to realize is, okay, what is the possibility that I get reimbursed for this product? You know, what is the maximum price I will get? And you risk adjust that too. And ultimately you come to a place where you say, okay, if I do bring this product that is a need for patients who currently have no access, uh, maybe it's only for 50, 60 patients, but it's an expensive drug, uh, which is the case for most orphan diseases. Then you see if you're, appetite for that size of a revenue is uh, in your company's strategy, right? We as a company for any given country, we do not go into any product below a million uh, in, in annual turnover. Uh, our, our target is, of course, always to be patient focused and, and treat the patient problem. But we also know operationally, we won't be able to turn a buck uh, for the company to reinvest into more products and, and service more patients if we do not keep a basic uh, uh, you know, uh, environment that we can focus on uh, for the benefit of these patients. So, so this is kind of the deductive process of how we get ideas into a readiness to even sign them, right? Because uh, uh, our, our industry is very, it takes a long time for everything. Once I sign a drug, it takes two years for that product to get approved in a destination country and reimbursed in that destination country. And I only launch it three years down the road. So I, whatever I do today is only going to really kick in three years down the road. So what I have to do is every year sign five, 10 products so that eventually I'm in this routine of receiving every year, ideally five to 10 products that is allowing me to grow exponentially, uh, basically. But th that's basically, I think, my process in, in, in uh, ideas for an established startup uh, in expanding and scaling its product offerings and, and how we kind of consider uh, entering new products. So we're a, a fairly um, analytical approach to estimating the, the market from my under, what I understand at your stage in IdeaGen. What about you, Francesco? Are you, um, for, I mean, maybe you can tell us a bit more about Poor Squad you, uh, and how you came to that idea, if, that's, if that helps. And so the, the question is, how, how does one firstly get ideas? And, and I think we've talked about that a bit, but more importantly, how does one filter ideas down? So again, just so, so am I on mute? No, no. So I think that the, the, the way that I filter ideas down, and then, then I can tell you about Postcard, you know, but the way that I filter ideas down is, you know, is there some, I mean, my first question is always, you know, is there something that I know about this particular space or this particular idea that other people don't have or that other people don't know, right? Do I have anything unique about my insight about this segment, right? So that's, that's the first thing, right? So unless I feel confident about that, you know, then I probably wouldn't necessarily pursue it. The second one is, you know, is there anything in the market right now? Are there, is there, is there a new consumer behavior? Is there a new technology? Is there a new macro, right, that makes this the right time to do that, right? Why now, right? Like, you know, the, 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 the issue of like market sizing, I mean, Formulat makes a lot of sense because of, because of what it does, right? Market sizing, it's uh, it depending on what the market is, right? Usually, you know, ideas start in one direction, they move to another. 
So I, I don't necessarily look at the size of a particular market. I usually look at what insight do I have? Why is this the right time? You know, and how many people do you think will have a similar problem that I do right now, right? So that's just very kind of like in a, in a, in a very kind of theoretical way. With Postquad, you know, to me, to me that was super easy, right? I had just, a, I, I had an issue, right? I had a pet, the pet was quite old, was 15 years old, 13 years old at the time. You know, it was, it was my wife's and my baby, right? And so, you know, we, we just took him to the vet one day and they told us he has developed this thing called osteoarthritis. And, uh, and he will have to take this uh, super powerful steroid for the rest of his life. And his life is gonna, de is gonna kind of uh, degrade. And, you know, it's kind of like the end of the line. And I was like, wow, you know, you told me this in 10 minutes you had seen the pet two months ago and you hadn't caught it. And now all of a sudden you tell me that all I can do is to give him like a steroid. And I was like, I want a second opinion, like now. And the guy was like, well, okay, you can go get it. But vet didn't want to give me a second opinion because it's, uh, it, it doesn't look good in, in the profession to give a second opinion or to kind of contradict or disagree with another vet. And I was like, I, had, I think I had just moved from the States and I was like, you know what? In the US, I can, uh, if I want to speak to a doctor, I can just kind of like get onto a doctor on demand and have a consultation. Why can't I do that, right? So that was the, the kind of the, 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 that was the reason why I started, right? Turns out, by the way, that, you know, that's not the real insight of what made a company grow, right? The insight of what made a company grow is that pet owners are incredibly, like pet owners need to have, uh, uh, their anxiety is relieved when their pet is sick, right? If you wake up in the middle of the night and your pet is vomiting, you're like, should I call the vet? Should I run to the emergency room? And so having somebody to talk to that calms you down and says, good, chill out, everything is going to be fine, is worth kind of a $50 phone call, <laughs> right? So that's really the right? But I started for obviously a completely different reason. I, I mean, I find the idea great because... We hear about telemedicine so much, and I would have. I mean, is this correct to characterize it as a telemedicine for for pets? Not really. No, okay, sorry. Uh, so maybe you can explain. No, no, no. It's it's telemedicine implies that you are treating a condition, right? And uh, tele in in the in the in the pet world, you cannot diagnose online, right? That's because you need to actually physically be able to touch the pet because that's the only way that you, the pet can speak. So it cannot tell you his symptoms. You are not a dog or a cat. Therefore, you cannot communicate, you know, how the pet feels. So the only thing I can, the, 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 the vet can do is to feel kind of like his stomach, his look at his eyes and whatnot, right? And so we started believing that we could do a telemedicine play, right? Until we realized that the, the, the regulators told us no way. No way you can do that, right? And... Uh, and, but that's when we realized, you know, that that was not the value, right? The value was not to replace the vet and, uh, and um, that's what was not the job, right? Pets do not want to have a, their vet replaced. You know, they still have a loyalty for their, pet, their vet. They still want to, they still trust the relationship. But again, you know, if it happens in the weekend, in the middle of the night, while you're at work, right? What do you do, right? Who can you talk to, right? And that's where the value was, was like, almost like, again, relieve, relieving the pet owners of his anxieties around the well, the health of his pet. That was the, mm -hmm. the job that ultimately we were helping them do. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so obviously you've mentioned the word job and we're all of us three quite a lot into this framework of jobs to be done, which I, I understand you also know a bit about, Francesco. Um, so it, and it, it, it seems to me that in this case, much like uh, Murat, the idea for the business stemmed from your own personal frustration or own personal experience uh, in dealing with the problems with your, your pet and the anxiety linked linked to that. What I found curious is actually none of you mentioned something that I find uh, a very important uh, aspect of filtering ideas. And I wanted to get your opinion on this, which is uh, passion or mission. Um, how does that play a role into what you're, you're doing? Or to go back to reference what Murat said about all businesses are the same, is in the end just the interest in the making the business and and whatever whatever it is goes because it's the interest is the business or does it how does passion and the mission come into the picture you know i i think that there are certainly a lot of a lot of businesses that are mission driven and are impact driven i have no doubt about it right but then let's be honest right let's look at most of the businesses out there right a i don't know a marketplace that connects uh, like uh, businesses with office space. What's the vision? What's the mission? Well, let, let's be clear. There is a need. You found, you spot the opportunity and now you're executing against it, right? Now they might tell you, like we were told you that they are in the business of, I don't know, you know, like uh, bringing people together, you know, that's fine. You know, they, they, can, they can package it. They can make it look pretty and put bells on it, but fundamentally they're executing against a need. You know, and that's what drives them, right? They, what drives them is like to be the best at doing that job, right? And, and building that company. You know, in, in my view, like, was I passionate about dealing with uh, with uh, all the pets problem, health, the health pets problem in the world? No, I was passionate about fixing my dog and making sure that he was healthy, right? So now, if I could help other people along the way in doing that, great. If I can build a successful business along the way, even better, right? But I was trying to, to scratch my own itch, right? I wanted to solve my problem. And it just happened that I was able to solve other people's problems. But I wasn't driven about, you know, although to be fair, I put it on my pitch decks and all that, like, you know, like making pets health or like pets well-being, blah, 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 the center of, sure. But, you know, it was not like I was born with a passion. That's what I want to do in my life, right? I mean, I'm not Dr. Belito. I know it sounds, I'm not, I'm, I'm removing the romanticism from the start of, but, we also need to be pragmatic about it. Mm -hmm. Your doctor do big. Yeah, exactly. Murad, how about you then? What, what is the role of uh, the passion or the mission? Or you were talking before about the empathy or high EQ towards helping people. How does that factor in? So, I mean, uh, I think, you know, I guess why we don't mention passion is because it's kind of given that if you don't have passion, you're obviously not going to succeed in what you're doing. I mean, unless you're working in a factory line and your job is to, uh, you know, churn out, you know, 100 products a day, uh, whether you have passion or not, is not going to change anything because there's checks and balances on that production line that will basically throw out any products that are not <laughs> of a certain quality standard, right? So for, for any, I think, for, the, for a, an innovative team or organization, um, what is more important than passion is culture, right? Culture is the ultimate defining factor that differentiates company A versus B versus Z, whatever, whatever it might be. And if you look at any company, both successes and failures, huh? 
Uh, so I can give you like, you know, some of the big ones everybody will know, obviously, you know, whether you have Uber or you have WeWork, right? WeWork, from my perspective, is a complete scam, okay? I mean, like, uh, th there is no, no other way to describe it. Now, are they a scam that ultimately ended up making money because so much money was pumped into it that, that basically there was no other option? Sure. And, and that's where I find, like, the, the, the founders of such companies who are pure charm, but nothing else but BS, as far as I'm concerned, uh, yeah, you know, what, what I, at least what I know from the outside. Uh, now, are, are they smart? Are they successful? Sure, from somebody's perspective. But at the end of the day, did they enrich the world of a WeWork culture of, of you know, creating a, uh, you know, technology company in an office rental space or, or whatever? I mean, they, they, it was just repackaging what existed, you know, and, and somebody just sold it in a different light. So at the end of the day, the culture, even in the failure, was almost cult-like, right? They followed this aspirational founder who, who uh, he even convinced the, the owner and CEO of SoftBank uh, to put in billions of dollars without even assessing the financials of the company. Uh, I mean, it, it almost sounds ridiculous, yeah, yeah, you know, to think that somebody can get billions of dollars on a fundamental that is no different than what has existed everywhere else with, with, with just a couple of phone calls and face-to-face -face visits and just charming someone, right, into believing that this could be something bigger than life. Then you look at Amazing skill, though. No, yeah, I mean, bullshitting <laughs> is an amazing skill. That's for sure. And every sales rep, that's what they do, right? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, for, for uh, I think there's a finesse into bullshitting in a way that nobody calls you a bullshitter. Right. And, and, and that, that is actually not really bullshit. It's more appealing to the emotional needs of the person across from you. And some will look at it who are more dry and say that's bullshit. Uh, others will look at it as like, that's really charming. And I get it. Yes, it might have some non-truths to it, but it motivates me. It wants me, like makes me want to be a part of something, you know, and, and I think that's like a very thin line uh, to be treading on. But the moment you take the guy in WeWork, let's say, as a CEO, and if you were to have put him maybe on top of another company that actually had really strong fundamentals, uh, business value, most probably he could have been bigger than any other CEO until today, you know? So so, so I, I think it's a matter of matching those skill sets. But I, I, my, my reference was more to passion and culture, uh, meaning that even a, a guy who had something that was kind of, you know, controversial, uh, created a passion and culture in a company that created a sense of innovation that drove people to want to work there, that drove people to want to use the services and products and whatever. Same on the Uber side, Uber actually had a fundamental revolutionary idea that changed the landscape and added value to the whole planet, okay, in so many ways, uh, more than one. And the CEO over there was literally... Um, beyond passionate, right? I mean, he, he had so much grit that it was spilling out of his ears uh, but, when he spoke but, to everyone. Right? Is it passion? Because you see, like, when I think about Uber, right? Again, not, I don't want to remove the, 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 the romance from the conversation, but Uber's mission is to connect people. Let's, let's, let's be clear about that, right? It's, it's a post, uh, it's, it's an after the fact uh, mission, right? And so is it passion or is obsession to solve the problem, which of the two, right? Because I think that those two things are very different, right? He was obsessed at wanting to address that issue. 
you know, he then, in my view, he then built a story to bring people along with him, right? And, that's, mm-hmm. and, and now that's, that's thought out as he was passionate about it. I frankly doubt that there was passion. I think it was a lot of obsession. I want to yeah. do it. I want to make it big. I want to show. But, I, 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 yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think that it starts off as a passion that then becomes an obsession once you realize that this is uh, this can be much bigger and, and much, uh, you know, and you start to see the income coming in and you start to see the expansion possibilities. And then you realize, oh, well, there's the God effect, right? I mean, when you start making that much money, uh, not as an individual, but as a company, and you start to see, I can scale this to China, I can scale this to everywhere. And, and then you start becoming larger than life. You're starting to meet everybody who means anything in the world, uh, you know, getting awards and all that. So, I mean, I get it. It becomes an obsession at some point and you can't even let go of it. But uh, fr- from my perspective, I wouldn't mince, you know, the words. I don't think the words have so much meaning. The point is that at the end of the day, you have to be committed. And your level of commitment might be different than others, but that's ultimately what makes the difference uh, given other variables are aligned, you know, is, is the amount of passion that you have for whatever you're doing. And that doesn't mean the mission of the company, by the way. It could just be the CEO's or founder's passion to creating something new. Uh, or, 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 or wanting to prove themselves to other people. It could be an individual passion. It doesn't have to be related to the product or the company even. Uh, at the end of the day, just being able to wake up in the morning, right, and 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 do more than others do. I guess that I guess that the the nuance there is that you know when you talk about so passion is uh, is uh, is inextricably in, in linked to mission and vision, right? And so when you when you're asking uh, people to go in a very arduous journey with you, you need to give them a reason to believe, right? That is beyond the patient, right? It's be, so like, why am I working uh, 16 hours a day for three, whatever, for X thousand dollars a month, right? Why am I doing that? There is a bigger meaning, right? So that's the point, right? So there is a bigger meaning as to why we're doing it. We are, again, we are connecting people. We are whatever mumbo jumbo kind of mission, vision statement they come up with. And, 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 and now, in, in, in the past several years, there is like, it's passion driven, right? There are people that are very passionate about driving that vision, right? Driving that mission. And that's what I kind of, to some extent, in many ways, I call that bullshit, right? I think that mm. they saw a massive opportunity. They are obsessed about taking advantage of the opportunity. And then they build a narrative to bring people along with them to do it, right? Again, yeah. it's semantics yeah. maybe, you know, but yeah. I mean, it, uh, what I find quite interesting, if you look at Uber, I mean, I don't know all the details about how this company started, but if I recall, they were in Paris or something like this and couldn't get a cab. And so they thought, I oh, wouldn't be great if we could just press a button and have a cab. And so they started really with the idea, that idea in mind. And I think the, the first service was some limousines or something that you could, you could basically order. Yeah. So it was basically, I mean, a taxi service. And, and I think what was quite interesting, what I recall, there was, and I think now it's less prevalent in their messaging, but at some point they were really um, arguing that Uber would, would, would solve transportation in general in cities. So it would reduce... Uh, traffic because everyone would have uh, would share cars so there'd be more car sharing so they so they they kind of 
jumped onto a higher level mission, which was about solving transportation issues worldwide with their service. And of course, then using AI and, and self-driving cars so that you would not even, no one would have to own a car anymore and everyone could just press a button and go from one place to the next. Um, I think, I, I don't know where they're at, they're at on, this, uh, on this thing, but I, I find it quite interesting to notice this. And I, I would go with Francesco a bit on this idea that they saw an opportunity. They had a frustration, like you were discussing also in your lives, that you found frustrations and thought, okay, I can do something about this. And then as they built the business, they thought, okay, what we need to motivate people. We need to have a grander vision, a grander mission. And I think Elon Musk, for example, if we're going to talk about all these big entrepreneurs, he does this very well too. He has this, this long-term vision and mission. And I think the primary mm -hmm. purpose of this is, is really to motivate people to come and work for, for, for the company and to, to, to make people motivated to, to work. I don't know if this uh, you think is, uh, does that resonate with you guys? Or? Well, I mean, uh, to be honest, I don't think that, uh, you know, an Elon Musk uh, cares uh, uh, at all what, what his employees are thinking or does. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, the reality is that, first of all, he's, he's, a, he's a brilliant guy, okay? I mean, br most probably this one of the smartest guys uh, in a long time. Uh, and at least from my perspective, others might disagree. I know a lot of people don't like what he says and all that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, the guy has taken on tasks that are literally like, you know, history making. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, he's basically made one of the oldest industries, one of the most powerful industries look obsolete in a matter of no time, right? The car industry, right? Even though they had all the skill sets, all the capabilities of being able to do absolutely everything he's doing, he came out of the blue and he said, you guys aren't doing the right thing. I'm going to do it differently. And he did it. Now, obviously, he had to be passionate about wanting to, you know, do this to get there. Now, is he is he doing other things to increase his share price and all of that? Yes. Well, we're businessmen. I mean, the point of it at the end of the day is that there has to be an output to the input you give, and that's measured usually by a PNL and a balance sheet. Okay. I mean, that that's that's for every business universal. It's it's not something that is specific to a billionaire or or a startup guy who. Or, or even a banker who, you know, if you ask for a credit, the first thing he asks you for is your audited financials. So it, it, the system is built in such a way that I'm forced to think about how I'm going to create more value for the company. Otherwise, I can't get funding. Otherwise, I can't invest more into my people and all of that. But ultimately, the culture that he brings onto the table of not believing that anything is impossible or not taking like the standards as a as kind of given and unbeatable and so many mega industries that, uh, you know, how am I going to fight against VW and Mercedes and everybody else is ultimately what made his organization be able to surmount all of the obstacles along the way, right? And that's why for me, I don't tie it to passion, I tie it to culture. And they're good at injecting culture of the business into other people. So let's get into this because I really would like to talk about culture and how do you foster an innovative culture or, or team even? Uh, how, how do you go about doing this? Francesco. Sorry, I, I was on mute. How do you, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a, 
It's a weird question, right? So initially in particular, because when you are starting a company, you hire the people that you think have, have those elements. And I, again, I, I know it's kind of probably controversial because you know, there is this, we, we need to hire from different kind of like uh, cultural parts, right? And uh, because multicultural makes, but in reality, again, let's bring it back to kind of like the, the, the reality. We tend to hire people that mirror our cultural values in many ways, right? So the early stage, the, the early stages of a company has people that think in very similar ways, right? Or maybe they don't think in similar ways, but they have very similar values, right? Because that's how you're building, that's how you start building the relationship and the bonds, right? So then there is the question of like, how do you, and from, from a, in particular from a startup standpoint, right? How do you inject those cultural elements that make any startup successful, right? Which is, you know, like, again, like going to back to Murat is like, is the grit, is the, is the taking risk, is not being able to, is, is, is not having fear to fail, right? It's kind of like a, 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 a be scrappy and faster, kind of be analytical. So those are all things, you know, that can be taught, right? That's a, a lot of it is part of the, of the job of the, of, the, of the CEO, right? To, to show that it's okay to fail, right? To, 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 to communicate his own failure to the team, right? To kind of like to, 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 to present himself as like the person that doesn't know, doesn't have all the answers, right? And, and it's kind of like, is the, is the leading by example, right? Is, is having like those, those frank conversations where you're, tell, where you're saying, you know, the mistakes that you've made, you know, and you encourage people to do the same, right? Because ultimately startups are about that, right? Are about, you know, like being fast, being scrappy, failing and, and moving on, right? So I think it's a combination of the two things, right? And then ultimately, you know, like how do you build culture, right? It's, uh, I think it's a combination of the two things, right? It's how you set up the initial team, right? It's the people that you choose to work with you. And then how you, you, how, how you, show, you, you show by example how things are supposed to be done. And then, of course, the obvious, there is the ping pong table and the kind of the bags and the office. And the <laughs> you guys have time for ping pong? What the hell? <laughs> no, no, but, but uh, Francesco's absolutely on point. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's the time. I think a lot of it is very much, you know, companies will shift as a result of management, you know, and, and um, you know, a new CEO coming in, uh, or, or a new director coming in or whatever it is for a small organization that is maybe built only of 20, 30 people in the beginning uh, ultimately makes the difference because at the end of the day, you literally have like five people running the company, right? And then the rest are kind of the octopuses, tentacles uh, who, are, who are doing the sales and whatever else in the field. And if, if, if the people do not see you as willing to sacrifice everything, if they don't see you as the last person leaving that office and the first person in that office before anyone can make it, there is no way that you're going to build a culture of these hungry and uh, people who want to live in this in this aura of, or fairy tale that you're creating around something that is made of plastic, right? I mean, a product that is 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 basic. It's an idea. It's a design concept. If it is a physical product, if it's a service. It's an idea again about you know what you're trying to solve with the service, some need you're trying to meet. Uh, at the end of the day, what you what you uh, what you see is that you know it's this passion and the, the grit uh, to to actually uh, convince everyone in your organization that what they do matters, 
And it matters to people that they might never even get to meet, but it matters. And somebody needs to convey that message internally on a regular basis. Otherwise, you know, everyone has an off day. I do too. Uh, some days I go to work and, uh, and I feel like I don't want to be here. I just want to go home and go to bed. You know, I mean, it's, it's normal. Yay, we're all humans uh, at the end of the day. I wanted to ask you about uh, something else you, you mentioned in preparation for this talk, which is priorities. So we've talked about uh, people and the importance of hiring the right people, of leading by example, of uh, the skills such as grit and, and passion in, uh, as being really important for fostering an in innovative culture. We've talked about products and, and how you choose different ideas and validate ideas. And I wanted to talk now about priorities. Um, I'm quite curious as to what this is for, for you guys, because it's it's not something that I would have put on my list. So I find it very interesting to 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 talk about it. So what is priorities for you and, and what do you mean by that priorities? Maybe Francesco, uh, I mean, if you want or more. Uh, yeah, go ahead, friend. No, no, go ahead, Francesco, please, please. You're on mute again. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I'm always on mute. Sorry, guys. So so I can speak on uh, on from from the from the point of view of, of startups, right? So from like early stage, so seed, series A, you know, series B, right? And, uh, you know, when you're at that stage in your company growth, everything is an opportunity. Everything is noise. There is always some other shiny object that you can pursue, right? You have what other competitors are doing. You have the ideas that, uh, you know, come up in the middle of the night. So there are all this stuff, right? And, uh, you know, but your, your, what, what you don't have is time, right? So you have lots of ideas, but you have very little time. And in most cases, you have very little resources, right? And so therefore, how do you know which work to do, right? So how do you prioritize? Clearly, prioritization becomes important because if another company comes tomorrow that does exactly the same thing that you do, but they get to, mark, to product market fit or, or to scale faster than you, they want the game, right? So it's, it's, it's a game of speed. It's getting to the finish line first, which means that you need to do the work fast. Therefore, you need to know which work to prioritize and, and you cannot do everything. And so, you know, given that we know that 10% of the work usually, you know, 10% of the channels, 10% of the, of the marketing, 10%, of, of your feature will drive 80% of the value, right? That works also in this case. So it's about understanding what that 10% is, right? Is, 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 is fundamentally understanding, you know, what are, you know, what is, what is your, what are your key metrics, right? What are the drivers that moves those metrics, right? And what is the work that you need to do to move those drivers, right? So it's very methodical, right? Um, and that's kind of like, that's the way that I think about prioritization, right? Once we've understood what is that, that bottleneck and that you unlock the bottleneck, you move to the next bottleneck, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that allows you to have a team that knows exactly which direction to move, knows how their job, their, their daily work is related to the goal that they have to get to, and, and actually knows what is the work, right? Can actually say, you know, this week we'll focus on this area and next week or next quarter we focus on that area. So that's how I think about prioritization. I think that's uh, fantastic advice and definitely 
if you at least conscious about this idea that uh, I guess it's the Pareto principle or something, <clears throat> this idea that 10% drives 90%, I think that's a very good thing to be <clears throat> conscious about it. Um, of course, in my experience, I, I've had also a lot of trouble sometimes identifying what this 10% is. Typically, you know, should you be focusing on sales or should you make your service better? You know, so this is obviously complicated. I, I, again, like, you know, you know, should we make the product better or should you focus on sale? Again, if you look at the way the business is at that moment, right? If you understand, you know, both what your customers are looking for, but you also understand your funnel, you can figure out whether you should focus on sale or whether you should improve certain parts of your product, right? Ultimately, product delivers value, you know, to deliver value, people need to use it. If people are getting stuck in some areas of your product, well, you know that, and, and that is your, your biggest drop off or, or your point of, of, of less activity, then you're going to have to focus on that. If on the other hand, you know, you're having like 10 people a month using your product, well, you know, <laughs> probably you need to, to go up, you know, and, and get more, right? So it, exactly. it's a matter of, of having a good understanding of where your business is at that moment. And friends, frankly, is a troubleshooting exercise, right? Okay, Murad, how do you go about finding out what you need to prioritize? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I'll touch up on a point that, that at least, you know, I think Francesco most probably would definitely consider as important. But uh, I'll, I'll just put, you know, I agree with everything Francesco said. I think priorities are most probably the, the most important thing when it relates to speed to market. Because at the end of the day, a company from its incorporation date is at a race in time against its finances right? Yes, you might have a great idea and everything, but if you want that great idea to out-survive uh, the financial capital you have, and, and remember, yes, there's a lot of money out there, but there's no guarantee you will be able to continuously finance everything. So your number one priority, as far as I'm concerned, having started many different businesses, is to generate money as quickly as possible, a, a source of income right? Even if it's an imperfect product, it doesn't matter. Most imperfect products outsell perfect products 10 to 1, okay? If you, if you go and look, I actually did this the other day. Uh, we, were, we were talking with a friend about, you know, why can't we find some products that are commodities that we can kind of have produced somewhere and sell in Amazon in the US, you know? And we looked at the top 10 most selling products uh, in the US. And literally, the booger sucker is the top like seventh selling product for parents who have kids who are trying to suck boogers out of their nose. And, and it's, it's like selling millions of units, you know? And so at the end of the day, I look at it, what is it? It's literally a plastic straw with a plastic tip and a pump on it, right? It's like, could they make it cooler? Could they make it more ergonomic? Could, could it be more sex appeal, uh, et cetera? Absolutely, but do they really need to? Is it functional? Does it meet its purpose? Well, that's a priority, right? Your priority is to meet the need that actually the parents have. And the parents most probably don't care if it looks like a Prada nose sucker, right? They, they, they want it to simply be a functional one that meets their need as it relates to their child. So for me, I think finance ultimately determines and financial priorities ultimately determine your priorities. And this also reflects then into uh, you know, your payroll, the kind of people you hire, who do I actually need a commercial director or can I actually get a commercial manager or, or someone who's super hungry sales rep who wants to become a commercial manager to maybe take him as a priority 
in this stage of my evolution of first launching the product. And then over time, once I have sales, see if he's capable of actually filling the shoes uh, until a later stage, or do I need to bring someone with more experience on top of him to actually kind of scale this up? So all of it at the end of the day, whether it's financial priorities, human resources, uh, you know, all of that, I think the product priorities, if you have a basic product that meets the need, I think that is likely a lesser of a priority uh, because uh, again, you start with the need, right? Am I catering to a need? And as long as you have version uh, A of the product, you know that you're going to come up with different versions down the road and you're going to improve on it. And it's going to be version B, version C. So you have to look at it over the long run, but your commercial priority is to generate income to secure the company, secure the wages of everybody working in that company, uh, kind of create an initial culture that then is primed for, for an expansion into a bigger culture with a bigger vision and take it phase by phase over time and, and kind of troubleshooting error, as, as Francesco said, uh, over time, you have to keep troubleshooting yourself to make sure that you are ready for scaling up to the next level, uh, in essence. So prioritizing income, building culture, I think this is uh, probably a good good time to uh, to to stop. I, I really want to thank both of you for 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 taking the time to talk with us. This thank was, you, thank you. This uh, I've I've enjoyed this very much. So thank you both again. And um, maybe is there anything else you would like to tell us, uh, such as where people might follow you or follow your different companies or ventures is there something you would like to communicate i mean i'd prefer to just be seen next time around on the front cover of times magazine just as a shock effect you know but <laughs> no i mean try LinkedIn, our best yeah try exactly no i think linkedin you know if you, if you go and follow us uh on my company side on igurgen's linkedin account i think or my personal linkedin you'll most probably see posts that we put um, and then kind of follow up on news is otherwise it's usually press releases and places that we do anyway, uh, one way or another. Francesco. Yeah, same here. You know, I haven't, I, I, I haven't put too much effort in my, in my personal brand. So my LinkedIn, my Twitter, you can, you can find me there. You know, the biggest issue here is those that do, uh, don't usually advertise themselves because they're too busy doing so so that that i think is kind of our our, our state of mind i we, we we i suck at advertising myself uh because you know i do it with the work that i do and i think you know francesco is the same so that's where we make a good match brilliant okay and that concludes today's product quest podcast please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com See you next time. Thank you, guys. Yeah, see you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Jan. Thanks, John. Hey, thank you very much.